Khan Academy Digital Sessions. Conversations on the legal topics affecting businesses and individuals today. Hello and welcome to the Michigan Academy Digital Sessions podcast. I'm Richard Leadham, a partner in the litigation group at Michigan Rea, and I'm joined today by Stephen O'Dowd, who's a senior director of funding at Harbour. Stephen, we shouldn't assume that everyone listening is familiar with litigation funding. Could you summarise briefly what it is and a little bit about your role at Harbour? Sure. I can't believe that there could be anybody that doesn't know what litigation funding is, but funders can cover, usually do cover, all the legal costs of a dispute. So think of us as standing in the shoes of a claimant and paying for you as the solicitors, the barristers, the experts, all the legal costs that are involved in a dispute. And that usually includes as well the cost risk of, if the claim is unsuccessful, having to pay quite a large portion of the opponent's costs, the so-called adverse cost risk. We cover all of that. So we take away that burden of cost risk from the claimant. We take it on ourselves. How we're remunerated, how we're paid is if the claim is successful and if damages are recovered from the opponent, then we get paid an agreed share of those damages. If the claim is unsuccessful, we have to write off what we've spent, what we've invested. Or if the claim is successful but no damages are recovered from the opponent, we have to write off what we've spent or what we've invested. That's funding in a nutshell. As for my role at Harbour, I've been at Harbour for nearly 10 years. My background was as a litigator working at a law firm where I taught you everything that you know. And then I went in-house to a very large FTSE 100 company where I headed up their commercial litigation team. But I've been at Harbour for 10 years and I'm a so-called originator. My job is to source good opportunities, good cases, good disputes for Harbour to spend its money on, for Harbour to fund, for Harbour to invest in. And my specialism over the year has become putting in place funding for very large group or class actions in the UK and also around the world. Thank you. As you know, Mishcon and Harbour have a long-standing relationship and Harbour has approximately £200 million worth of funds committed to cases that we're running. We recently announced a new funding venture where together we will co-invest £150 million more money in litigation and arbitration cases for Mishcon's clients. What do you think makes our relationship work? Well, it, it's obviously my, my magnetism, my personality, no. Um, simple things. We know and get on with a lot of lawyers in your firm. You and I have known each other for a long time. I've taught you many things, obviously. We, we work effectively together. The sourcing of opportunities, it isn't all one way. We've actually sent things your way that you've ended up running and they're quite big claims. We know and trust you to deliver. You do a great job. And we've worked together for several years now. So the funding venture to me, which is called MDR Solutions One, I'm sure you're going to mention more about it later. It just seemed to me like the next logical step in our relationship. But I'm going to throw that back at you. What do you think makes the relationship work from your perspective? And what are your thoughts on the new funding venture? Well, without turning this into too much of a love-in, I think one of the key things is that we've always found that Harbour being one of the most professional and easy to work with of all the funders. And so as time's gone by, it's perhaps no surprise that you've become one of our funders of choice. And although, as you know, 
we went out pretty widely to the market in terms of who we'd want to partner with on this new facility, it's perhaps no surprise that we've ended up working with you. I think it is a new step for us taking more risk ourselves in cases and sharing in some of the recovery but we're hoping to build on all of the work that we do with you so far, including the group cases that you mentioned, and keep that relationship going. Yeah, it's exciting. It really is genuinely exciting. Um, but let's get into one of our more recent funded claims, which we don't know for sure, but if the new funding venture was up and running when this claim came into being, it probably would have been put into MDR Solutions 1. By the by, we'll never know, but it's quite recently... It was the business interruption claims that were brought by the Hiscox Action Group that we funded. Those claims were brought right at the peak of the coronavirus pandemic. Do you want to briefly just summarise what the claim was about and why it was so important? Sure. I mean, we'd, as you know, been advising on some business interruption claims in the hospitality sector in early March 2020. And then we picked up from the media about some SMEs who were facing a really serious impact on their businesses because insurers were rejecting claims right at the time when they were being shut down for the foreseeable future and had no income. And Hiscox took quite a public stance about rejecting these claims. We'd looked at one Hiscox policy for an individual insured and felt that that should provide cover and realised that many policies were written on the same standard terms. At the same time, the Hiscox Action Group was starting up, and I saw some reference to them in the press, got in touch with one of the original members of that group. And that led very quickly to a realization that these businesses could only take their case forward against Hiscox as a group and wanting to work with us if we could get some early stage funding. We'll maybe touch on that in a little moment, but what happened with the case It took various twists and turns in only a year or so, which involved us commencing arbitration on behalf of 384 businesses in proceedings that eventually led to a hearing in March of this year, whilst at the same time intervening in a test case brought by the FCA on issues of principle and raised by all of these claims. That went to trial in July of last year with a leapfrog appeal to the Supreme Court in November of last year with the two proceedings intermeshing along the way, and our claims finally settled in June 2021. So it was a huge roller coaster of a year, and we did get settlement for those businesses. But I think back to when you joined in with all of this, which all happened at high speed at a very difficult time for everyone. Perhaps you could talk through the process you had to go through to get that funding in place for our clients. I was saying this to you before that that whole period when the first national lockdown hit until now almost it's a little bit of a blur it's not quite crystal clear in my head but I think it was around April last year April 2020 you gave me a call and just said have you heard about these business interruption claims I'd heard a little bit about them you mentioned the Hiscox Action Group would we be interested in getting involved And crucially, the group needed some money to do a little bit of extra analysis, not from you, but you wanted to go to a senior barrister and just verify what you already thought about their claims. And you made it very clear that all this had to happen in a hurry because these businesses genuinely were on their knees. They couldn't access their premises. They'd gone from whatever revenue they were earning to zero revenue. They were struggling. 
So we had to mobilize very quickly, like you said, at a time when everybody was still discombobulated with working remotely and how are we doing this? Even simple things seemed harder than they should have been. But what we actually did was we put together, not sure if I mentioned this before, but at Harbour we have an investment committee and it's six senior people who I call the gatekeepers to the money that we spend or invest in cases. And they decide which cases we invest in or fund and and which we don't. And we called an extraordinary investment committee meeting, an emergency one, if you want to put it like that. And we were able, from the point, I think, that you telephoned me to the point where we actually signed contracts after committing the funding so that everything was up and running, We did all of that in less than three weeks. Is that normal in your world? No. (laughs) I'd love to say yes, it's always that quick, but no. You have to bear in mind that the commitments we make, they're usually in the millions of pounds. It's a serious decision that has to be made. There's a lot of work to be done to put that in place. More usual is between one to three months. And it really depends on the amount of information that's available about the the claim or the opportunity that we're looking at. It helps a lot. We talked about this before, but that we had this pre-existing relationship with you. You and I have worked together for years. It means that the process has been expedited because we know each other. We know each other's processes. We know the way each other works. Yeah, that really did assist in being able to do it that fast. But it's not typical, no. It's generally one to three months is the norm, I'd say. But again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it back at you because unfortunately I'm, I'm well aware that this is not a monogamous relationship and you do date other funders. What's your experience? And this isn't about criticizing other funders at all. I'm just curious. How long does it generally take in your experience to get funding in place? And, and what did you think about the fact that we were able to put it in place in less than three weeks for the Hiscox claim? Yes, I'd say that the one to three month period is not that unusual generally with other funders. Although I would say that you're at the front end of that. Some funders take considerably longer than three months. I think what was particularly unusual in this case is is the ability that we had through the relationship with you to raise this so-called seed funding early on, which if you recall, happened within a matter of days at the very beginning to get a relatively small amount of money that we could invest in getting a council's opinion that was then positive that allowed you to then process the rest of the funding. That, in my experience, is really unusual and only arises where there is a good relationship with the funder and they trust the law firm that this isn't some sort of spurious exercise. And in fact, in this very case, because one of the members of the action group had been talking to another funder, we did go to them first because I was asked to buy the client effectively. And that particular funder would not advance any money up front. And therefore, we were stuck in that catch-22 situation. So I think that's a hugely encouraging aspect of our relationship that you do that on the better claims that we put in front of you. One of the things I love about my job is the bird's eye view that we have of disputes. And it means that I'm not doing the day-to-day, which is really the hard work that you do. It was extraordinary watching this claim progress because of the speed at which it had to move and the fact that everything was happening remotely, including the court hearings. But I'm conscious that the group comprised, what was it, several hundred small to medium-sized companies 
you acted for every single one of them. You ran every one of their claims. How were you able to run them or manage them as a group when there isn't a framework? Let's call it what it is. There is no statutory framework to help you do that really in the UK. Yes, indeed. It was very difficult working with what turned out to be 384 separate individual businesses who at the time were all facing closure, no income, and were incredibly um, upset with the attitude their insurer was taken. And because of the way our system works, we had to sign up each of those separate businesses, and each of those businesses had to join into the claim. We did have the advantage of a pre-existing steering committee, one member of, of whom was actually a media company, as, as it turned out, who was insured with Hiscox, who was very media savvy and had driven a lot of interest in the group so that we had a structure in place and the registered interests of hundreds of businesses. We then used terms of reference that had been tested out on other cases that we've run with you to make sure that whilst we, of course, representing all of those businesses, we had a mechanism whereby we could take instructions from a workable small committee whilst leaving bigger decisions, such as settlement, to the group as a whole. And that worked well in our case. But as I say, the, the problem we have is that with all of these claims, all of the businesses have to be signed up to our terms and to your terms. That has to be gone through with each claimant. Questions are asked and need to be answered on an individual basis. Looking at that in a bit more detail, what's your view about a perceived lack of support in our legal system to accommodate these large group claims? Anyone who knows me knows that it frustrates me. There is a lot of noise about group actions, or let's call them what they usually call class actions. And you may have defense lawyers scaremongering about how if the UK facilitates more class actions, the floodgates will smash open and we'll be inundated by the tsunami of US-style class action warfare, etc., etc. That's just over the top. It's not accurate. It's not the truth. But maybe don't listen to my view or the noise, as I call it, that you get from some people on the defense side. We have seen recently some quite compelling comments, I think, from senior judges in the UK. And if I can paraphrase them about how it's frankly unacceptable for the UK's legal system, which is top tier, to have this gap. And this gap is that where you have individuals who have all suffered the same mass harm, but where individually their claims are too small to be brought on their own, the cost of doing so would be completely disproportionate to the amount that they're claiming, that they don't have the ability to group together and have what you would have in a genuine class action regime, one single representative of that whole group, which would bring the claim on their behalf, except for those that decided they didn't want to be in that group and they opted out, a genuine class action regime. We're missing that in the UK other than for one sector, which is competition litigation. But we should have, I feel very strongly about it, a generic class action regime in the UK. It isn't right to me that 300 and however many it was, claimants in the Hiscox Action Group all had to sign separate contracts with you and with us. The so-called book building process had to take place. That's for 300 or so. Some of these mass harm situations 
they can occur to hundreds of thousands of people, even millions. And when that happens, it's frankly impossible to sign up that many people. You do need a genuine class action regime to seek redress for groups of that size. And we're seeing efforts in the UK to try to circumvent the gaps that are in the system. We're seeing some, I think, frustration being voiced by judges about the gaps in the system. But yeah, hopefully I've expressed that I find it rather frustrating. I've got a clear sense of your your view. I think while you didn't go as far as to say this, I think it's certainly something funders do say that funding can provide access to justice to those who otherwise wouldn't able to bring a claim. And that is taken in some aspect parts of the media as going a little bit too far. But do you think the Hiscox claim is actually a good example of that access to justice that funding can bring? Yeah, it absolutely is. And look, maybe the access to justice banner is held aloft too often by funders. I couldn't possibly comment, but it is absolutely relevant in relation to certain claims, and that includes the Hiscox claim. Why? Well, we mentioned it before. These were businesses, small and medium-sized companies, who were struggling, that genuinely really struggling, because they didn't have access to their business premises. They were bleeding cash. It's not an exaggeration. They did not have the means to take on and fight this claim. And you know what it took to fight this claim. You know how much it costs. You know what was involved. You've talked about intervening in the Supreme Court proceedings, the FCA test case, the arbitration that you had to fight. They did not have the means to pay for that and to get the result that they did with Hiscox. They needed help. And that help came from us. Yes, when the claim is successful, we get paid a portion of the damages that are recovered. But the option of funding does absolutely provide access to justice. It's not just funders who say it. There are numerous judges who have said it because it's true. And it it does absolutely apply in this case. But look, you're asking me as a funder, and I would say that what we do provides access to justice. I do believe in it. What's your perspective as the cynical litigator? I mean, what difference do you think funding made to the Hiscox Action Group in this case? I'd agree. It was absolutely key for all the reasons you say, particularly businesses who almost by definition had had their business interrupted and had no money and had no money coming in. But I think another aspect of this goes back to a, a point you were making earlier about the framework in the UK, that for relatively low value claims, it plays into the hands of the defendant. The maximum that nearly all of the members of the Hiscox Action Group could recover was £100,000. That was their so-called limit of insurance cover. Some had a little bit more and some indeed had a little bit less. Which is a lot of money. It's a lot of money in some contexts. But when you're facing Hiscox who would defend en masse, have a public company with millions of pounds at their disposal to fight these claims, any individual claim was going to probably cost well in excess of £100,000 to fight. So it becomes totally uneconomic. Even if the client had the money to fight the claim, it doesn't work doing it on your own with a hugely well-capitalized and very strategically organized defendant that fought on every level. And, And one has to remember here, Hiscox didn't just fight on the issue of liability, whether their policies covered these businesses. They fought on the value, the quantum of the claim at every stage as well. For the clients, they needed accounting experts, other business interruption experts to help them set out their claim properly. And without your funding, that just wouldn't have been possible. So I think for all those reasons, 
funding was absolutely key to the case. And what what we saw, and it, again, it touches on something you mentioned. Yes, the funder takes a slice of any recovery. But what we managed to do on settlement through quite a complex process was ensure that every single member of the group got some money back. Some had stronger claims than others. Some had bigger claims than others. Everyone got some money. And it's probably, to finish, worth just reading out on a no-names basis some of the messages we got back from the client group at the end of the settlement process. These would have been nice messages, yeah. (laughs) I I think you'll like them. One said, thank you so much for all the hard work you've done representing us. As a small business, I'm sure I would never have received a penny if it hadn't been for the action group and you. I really appreciate everything you've done for me. Please thank everyone concerned. Another one, thank you for the update and your support through the process. I imagine this will go down as a fairly historic claim and your efforts have been most appreciated. Please pass on our thanks to the steering committee that has supported you and made this result possible. And finally, many thanks, guys. We know we couldn't have got this result without you and Harper. Oh, we've got to mention. Just one. But, <laughs> yeah, that's what, it, that's what it's all about to me. And that seems like that's quite a good way to end our discussion. Yeah, that, that is good. You did a really good job. I'd like to say thanks to Stephen for joining me for this Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions podcast. Pleasure. The Digital Sessions are a series of online events, videos, and podcasts, all available at mishcon.com. And if you have any questions you'd like answered or suggestions of what you'd like us to cover, do let us know at digitalsessions at mishcon.com. Until next time, take care. The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. To access advice for businesses that is regularly updated, please visit mishcon.com.